Fine, fine. Fucking mansplain Outer Wilds to me. I will. Fuck you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Grumble Pack. Hello and welcome. Would you like to go first this time? Yeah, I'll go first this time. Uh, my name is Jasmine Gower. I am a fantasy author and freelance editor. You can find me on Twitter at JAS underscore Gower. And you can find my author website at jasminegower.com and my editing website at publishing.jasminegower.com. And I am Eli Winstrom. You can find most of my work on my Twitter at E-L-I-D-E-Art, as I am primarily an illustrator and game dev. You can find my portfolio that still needs to be updated at eliwinstrom.com. And you can find my Etsy shop where I sell uh, stickers and custom commissions at... E-L-I-D-E-E-Art on Etsy. I forgot to mention that I'm also a game dev. Hell yeah, we'll get it one day. I'm more a game dev now than I have been at any point in my life, and I still keep forgetting. When we can start properly plugging our game, we'll get better at that. Yeah, getting closer, though. Yeah, we've almost got a playable demo at this point. (laughs) Uh, So before we delve into today's topic, I Mm -hmm. did want to bring up something real quick first. Yes. I feel like we need, like, a title for the games that we mention frequently on this show, especially Mm. the indie titles. Oh, yeah. Like, Certified Grumble Pack, (laughs) Indie Icon, or something. Anyway, Certified Grumble Pack, Indie Icon, uh, Max Gentleman Sexy Business just had a big, big update, and it's free. So if you haven't played that extremely horny and silly game, uh, it's on Steam. I recommend it. That's still on my list of things that I need to do. It's quite silly and uh, quite pornographic. Yeah, you did mention the Santa pinup. That's... (laughs) There's a lot, yeah. (laughs) Um, See, I have been stuck playing the DLC to one of my favorite games recently, which actually helps me segue into this episode pretty well. Yeah, let's do it. Where we want to talk about non-linear storytelling specifically. Yeah. And I did want to start out by saying that when I say non-linear, I don't necessarily mean like a sandbox style game or an open world game, because in that case, then stuff like World of Warcraft or Skyrim, Breath of the Wild, uh, even Super Mario 64 could fall into the... that I would consider that more non-linear gameplay. Yeah. Which is a whole separate... Uh, I, saying that Skyrim has non-linear storytelling insinuates that it has storytelling <laughs> at all. Exactly. But Zing. It, in those cases, it's a situation where the game world is big and you can't explore it, but if there is a plot to follow, you do so in a pretty linear fashion, where right. you get the stars, you open the paintings, you fight Bowser, you save the princess. Right. Um, we're talking about more more loosey-goosey uh, situations where that might be true. Um, and specifically the one I know that a lot of folks know that I have unfortunately never played is Braid. As there's the story that you get where after a certain point, the, the game that you're playing reverses and you can see that this character actually appears to be stealing the princess and the guy who you thought was your enemy is like an actual chill dude and you're kind of evil like that sort of thing and I think starting with specifically information that is kept from the player Mm -hmm. is a good place to start with that because I know there's a game that both of us have played that has something like that which would be Hades exactly I assume you mean yeah so I guess to get a little I have two English degrees up in here (laughs) uh, I think what really constitutes like non-linear storytelling is 
ambiguity more than anything else, like not being sure when certain events happen uh, and kind of it not mattering even. Like it's more, the themes of the story are more abstract than like this event happened on Tuesday afternoon, blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you don't need to know really a timeline of events, just that events happen yeah, and people have feelings about it in the story. And you get a lot of that with Hades uh, especially early on, because Zagreus doesn't tell you what he doesn't tell you, the player, what's going mm-hmm. on, what he's doing. Uh, the narrator also is not <laughs> super forth. He's, he's very mysterious too. Mm-hmm. So most of what you're getting, story-wise, in the beginning comes from like the Olympian gods, like Athena, being mm-hmm. like, "Yes, Zagreus, you're going to come up to Olympus with us." Blah blah blah. But he lied to her, so she yeah. doesn't fucking know what's going on. Yeah, and subsequently, so, at that point, starts lying to you as the player, yeah. basically. And there's been a significant amount of events before this point, but this is the beginning of the story for you, the player. And as you keep going through, you unlock information that clarifies what's actually going on. But the way that the game plays and these kinds of cycles that you go through of trying to escape the underworld and dying and getting sent back to the beginning the information that you get doesn't come in a linear order because like we we were both playing Hades Mm -hmm. for the first time around the same time and Mm -hmm. we were getting fully different morsels of information yeah as we were both playing along you know 20 hours into the game I had a fully different story than you had yep even though it's the same story we had just the game had revealed the different parts of what was actually going on to us based off of choices that we've made and mm-hmm. how many times we've died and whether or not Thanatos had shown up yet. <laughs> he took a while to show up for me. I've, I've seen people being like, I picked up this game specifically for this goth <laughs> bitch and he's still not here. I've been playing for like 15 hours. I think that's a that's a good example also of how um, nonlinear gameplay and nonlinear story can mesh really well together because mm-hmm. the gameplay of Hades is pretty straightforward. It's a it's a it's a super giant special. It's a it's a beat 'em up where you can occasionally choose upgrades, etc. But based on which specific ones you get, you can clear different things at different times, you can get different characters at different times. And I think that's Supergiant is really good at that and definitely because it's their most recent game, Hades kind of distills all the good parts of that. Bastion has a similar sort of theme, both with the nonlinear storytelling as well as the nonlinear game upgrades, but because it was so early on in the studio's work, it doesn't quite have the scope that Hades does. Right. It's I think there's one major decision towards the end that you can make, and then everything else is upgrades for your character. Which is like, you take this specific alcohol and you can do a very cool thing. You are a child, but it's fine. <laughs> I think I think the main character of Bastion's a child. It's kind of... Anyway. <laughs> I will admit I specifically picked this topic so that I could talk a lot about a game that I really like oh, yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about Outer Wilds a lot because that game literally drops you in at the end of everything, specifically 22 minutes before everything. Also, I'm going to put a spoiler here. If you, like me, manage to exist in this world, in this sphere of video games, and not know anything about Outer Wilds, except maybe I should play it, go do that before you listen to me say anything, because I'm about to spoil the whole the whole game. The whole entire game, and I cannot stress enough. This is the kind of thing you want to experience for yourself if you can handle the game, and I don't want to ruin that for you, and this is literally one of those things where I'm like, if I could zap something out of my brain so I could do it again, it would be 
remembering how to play this game. <laughs> anyway, the thing about Outer Wilds is it doesn't tell you what's going on in the beginning because your character doesn't know what's going on in the beginning because literally no one does. The story that you're presented is that you are a Harthian and their whole thing is that they have this space program where you go out and you explore the solar system and it's your first launch day. So you wander around your your little town there, you uh, get the launch codes for your ship, you maybe toast a marshmallow or two, and you, you maybe glance up at the sun and see that, hey, it's getting kind of like red, but I don't think I'll worry about that. And because space travel is very scary, you will die very quickly. If, if like me, you will crash directly into the moon immediately and your ship will explode. <laughs> And instead of the game resetting from a checkpoint or something, you wake up at the fire again. And that's where you start to learn that this game plays in 22-minute chunks. And if you manage to survive that, those 22 minutes, you will find that you will die even after all of that because the sun is exploding because the universe is literally ending. And you start playing this game in these chunks of 22 minutes. You can go anywhere in the solar system. You can literally take your ship and escape the exploding sun if you want to. That'll give you a very specific end. But throughout the course of the game, you start uncovering these relics from the society that was there before you. They literally talk about seeing like a prototype of your people in one of the little lore dumps that you can find. It's very cute. But you discover that they they might be responsible for the sun exploding, and you might have a way to fix the end of the universe. The way that you're able to explore all of these things is fantastic, and I can really see why people hype the game up so much, because you can you can do literally anything. You can dive down to the bottom of the gas giant and go fuck around with the jellyfish down there and accidentally stumble onto something, or you can follow the plot thread of going to this this planet, and then the next one, and then meeting another Harthian, and they tell you that you can do this thing with the jellyfish on that planet, and then maybe you should go explore it, but you don't have to. And I just, I love it a lot. <laughs> it's a fascinating way of encouraging a player to do something, and the way that they scatter bits and pieces into it is incredible. <laughs> I love it very much. Nice. As you were talking, I just remembered yes. a game that is a great example of this. For some reason, you mentioning escaping on a spaceship is what triggered <laughs> this. Uh, but the Stanley Parable, which yes. I know we've talked about oh God, before, yes. but I feel like deserves even more talking about Etude. It doesn't so much have a literal plot, I would say. It has a thematic narrative. Yeah. But it doesn't have, like, a, I guess it has a beginning. But it doesn't have, like, an end, or the the characters in it don't have, like, set motivations or whatever. It all kind of changes as you're playing along, uh, and you get closer to whatever certain endings await you at the end of each chain of decisions that you make. But in, in each playthrough, you'll start as... Stanley in your room where you push the button and then from there the choices you make depend on which ending you get and mm -hmm. then once you get that ending you'll get a screen that says what does it say that phrase that's like oh my god the I think it's like the end is never the end is never the end like Some, on I think like that. one of them has that I, I think, think it's of all of them. Really? Okay. I think it's every time the game restarts you get that but okay. every time you get to the ending it restarts the game and you're back at the beginning mm-hmm so you keep going through these loops, but it's not like a time loop story. Mm -hmm. 
It's just, it's it's a very meta sort of narrative. It's about, like, player agency and and what it means to be a character in a video game and a person playing a video game. Audience consuming a story and things like that. But it's it's not, I don't know, it's very wibbly in terms of yeah. what, what is actually going on and when things are happening. And if S- Stanley is supposed to be, like, a literal character even at all. Or if he's supposed to represent the player if, playing the game yeah. or, like, an archetype. It's fantastic. It, it goes all over the place. It gets existentially horrifying. It gets mm-hmm. very, very silly. You can go to Button Heaven and just push I buttons. I do love Button Heaven. Button Heaven. <laughs> but yeah, that one is not super concerned about telling a linear story, for no. sure. Um, two things relating to the Stanley Parable. Um, number one, I recently looked at that and was about to re-download it, and then I realized I was less than a year away from the Don't Play the Stanley Parable oh, for Five Years achievement. I think I actually am far enough along to get that achievement. I Hell should yeah. check. <laughs> I should check. Hell yeah. <laughs> Boot that up. Number two, related to this, because I think they might be made by the same people, um, A Beginner's Guide. Yes, that's the same. It same is. developer. Yes. It is much, it's a little more linear in the way that it tells the story, but I would classify it as non-linear storytelling because the narrator, I, th- I think when you run into unreliable narrators, that um, can definitely fall into non-linear storytelling because you end up learning this story that the narrator has fully constructed in their own head about this person that they kind of knew tangentially and they they continue to make these stories up based on these short little micro games that they let you play and they walk you through each of those and it's it's a very linear the order that the games play but the the different ways that the story itself unfolds are really really interesting and it's also a really fantastic commentary on i think um i don't like using this word right now because i think it's kind of being overused but in parasocial relationships yeah uh, because you can you can really extrapolate a lot from something that doesn't mean anything, especially if you put a person on a pedestal while they are actively trying to push you away. <laughs> also a fantastic game. I think I played that like three times all the way through, and it hits me the same every time. It's really good. Nice. I think I have that one in my Steam library. <laughs> I should play that one sometime. It's excellent. <sighs> I'm trying to come up with some more ideas now, because this... I mean, speaking of games that's uh, Grumble Pack uh, certified indie icons, I think Pathologic 2 kind of fits this mold as well, especially in relation to the first game, where mm-hmm. it's kind of simultaneously a sequel, a remake, and a retelling of the original Pathologic, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. very odd, but the sort of framing device of the game as a play, again, very meta-narrative going on yes. here about the relationship between player and player character and things like that. But the whole game does start on... So it the, the story of the game goes through 12 days in this isolated town that's got a plague. Uh, and you would think that that would make it very linear. And the fact that there is an in-game clock and that's kind of what prompts the story to continue also you think would make it very linear. But because the game, like the clock is what what really moves events along rather than you have to do a certain quest and then that unlocks the next part of the story. Like if you don't do your quests on time, that part of the story just doesn't happen. So you kind of get a similar thing to Hades where 
depending on the choices you make, you could get a fully different story. It all kind of goes to the same endpoint, but the the story along the way is is there. But the game does when you start a new game. It literally starts on the twelfth day, and you, your your character has failed in his quest to mm-hmm. save the town in this version of events. Uh, and you go through this weird dreamlike version of this final day of the plague where the city's about to be destroyed. And then the theater guy is like, you fucked up my plate. We're going to start over. <laughs> Stick to your lines this time, asshole. So that, it, again, gets very whimsical and foggy and dreamlike and how it kind of tells the literal events as they go through. Even though, again, it's just like day one, day two, day three, like 24 hours each day. You think it would be very linear, but it's less so than you would expect. Now, I am loath to bring this up out of anyone in our household. But I realize I'm going to do a build up to this because I feel like it deserves it. Are you going to say Kingdom Hearts? Shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But I realized, um, as I was thinking a little bit more about Outer Wilds, the way that it's presented with all of these miniature narratives that you can just kind of stumble onto because they all happened around you and around the world, and the world keeps moving with or without you. I do think that with the amount of lore that Kingdom Hearts has... Oh my god, I was joking! <laughs> would it not fall into this particular story? That would You would have to include literally all of the games for yes. this, uh, because there are there's yes. a lot of different as, things happening. As a franchise, it is extremely non-linear. Okay, there we go. Because each game is pretty straightforward, and then it's like... Here's, here's a thing and a goal. You look like you're going to say something. <laughs> it's straightforward in that you start as a level one noob and then you fight bosses until you get to the final boss. Mm-hmm. It, it is an RPG <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, I think I I feel like I needed to acknowledge that I know as a franchise. <laughs> that is a fair point, especially because that's another one where the concept of like, it doesn't, it's not as interested in the relationship between player and player character but it is interested in the concept of character identities and how one character can be multiple other characters simultaneously mm-hmm. and i always feel like a little bit ill when i talk about <laughs> kingdom hearts lore on this podcast because <laughs> i feel like I, I i feel very pretentious trying to give <laughs> these games meaning but it does get weirdly esoteric with the concept of identity. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's possible to take take away high concepts from something that may not necessarily have been trying to do that with its storytelling or its gameplay, and I think that's a fun thing. Oh god, now I'm getting pretentious. I mean, I think it is trying to do that. It's just yeah. amazing that it pulls it off in a game series where also there's a point where Mickey Mouse doesn't have a shirt on in one scene, and in another game like, released like 15 years later, they created an in-universe plot-related reason for him to not have his shirt on in that scene. <laughs> I've done my time with this topic now. <laughs> no, we never have to talk about Kingdom Hearts again. <laughs> um, I think... Leading into that, though, I think... Well, now I'm trying to come up with a good example of another franchise that tells a story non-linearly like that, because I feel like that might be a un- an underutilized form of storytelling for franchises specifically. It's... With the concept of, like, RPG franchises, I feel like you've either got, like, 
to use examples that I'm intimately familiar with, on one end of the spectrum, you got like your dragon ages, which are trying to tell very literal mm-hmm. kinds of stories and do want to have that linearity t- and set timelines for events in the games and in the lore so that people can, you know, unravel the mysteries as they go along. That kind of very traditional epic quest fantasy formatting. And then you've got Final Fantasy on the other end, where individual games don't relate to each other at all, except Mm -hmm. in terms of branding. Yeah. Or if you want to get really, really, really deep into the lore (laughs) and decide that the Dissidia games are canon to Mm -hmm. all of the rest of the Final Fantasy games, which there is no, like, confirmation one way or the other on that, so... At at the very least, I did mean, like, deliberately being outside of also prequels... And whatnot, because right. that's 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 nothing. That's that a cash grab. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, for most RPGs, at least, I feel like in terms of franchises, it does either want to tell one big interconnected epic from the beginning, or it's just some loosely thematically related stories that mm-hmm. are not narratively connected. Mm -hmm. I think I would be remiss if I didn't also bring up Night in the Woods right now. It has a very similar um, form of the nonlinear storytelling as with Hades, uh, because you do follow one character for the entirety of the game, and she does withhold information from the other characters around her, and through extension, you, the player, because you don't really know anything about her when you start the game, except what you can glean from how she interacts with the janitor in the first scene and the things in her world. Uh, you can, you can like, assume that she's a young adult. You can assume that she's a little bit sarcastic and jaded, that she grew up in a mining town, etc., etc. But she does start to give you information throughout the entirety of the game that makes her as a person and what happened before the game make a lot more sense. Because, you know, she came home from uh, college. She had to drop out. She doesn't explain why until a big blow-up conversation with her mom where she explains that she had a violent disassociative episode which was echoed something that happened to her when she was a kid. So she has had a full breakdown and is trying to recapture everything that happened before leaving for college, but because it's a thinky indie game, everything's started to move on without her. (laughs) And I... fucking love that game so much. Also, there's ghosts in the game, which is very good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the fucking set dressing for this game, basically. It's very good. Can't go wrong with a ghost. Mm-hmm. His name is Little Joe. Oh. <laughs> he steals people. <laughs> Let me try and think of at least one more example before we wrap up. I can cut all of this contemplation out of it, though. That's fine. I'm trying to think. I should have Thought harder from the beginning. I only thought of the Stanley Parable while we were talking. See, that one's good. That's a good example, though. Like, casting around the fucking room. <laughs> I've just been playing so much Stardew Valley recently, and it's just like, that, not really. Bloodborne? True, Bloodborne. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about Bloodborne. Let's talk about Bloodborne again. We'll bring him, bring him back, Bloodborne. That one's not an indie game, but still. No, this is... Friend of the show, Bloodborne. Yeah, this is a very uh, this is a very callback episode to games yeah. that we like. It's almost like non-traditional storytelling is fun and often tells a very good story. And it's almost like we've been recording for over a year. We're <laughs> running out have, of video games that have we played. not played as many video games as that in the intervening time. Listen, I don't have money. Fair. 
Um, but yes, let's talk about Bloodborne and the very specific way that Bloodborne deals with storytelling, because I think that's... It's back to that ambiguity. Like, mm-hmm. you start the game, I'm still trying to recover from the first time I was playing Bloodborne. I was in, like, hour 10 of the game. I was still in that first stretch of Yarnum where you mm-hmm. go through all of the Huntsmen. Right. Still trying to get to the end of Difficult. that. And, and Stacy comes into the room at one point while I'm playing, and she's like, so what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm fighting werewolves. No, I see that, but why? (laughs) And ten hours into the game, I was like, I don't know. The game implied I should. The game said something about pale bloods ten hours ago, and in another 40 hours it will say nothing else about that topic. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Uh, You will learn about something called the amygdala, you will... Talk to some creepy people about religion. A lot of talk about religion. You've got to go to Bergenworth. Bergenworth. That gets mentioned really early on, too, but mm-hmm. it takes a long time to get there. It and once sure you, does. you get there, you kind of wrap it up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a whole separate nightmare realm that doesn't seem to phase the player character yeah, at all. There's, there's a point where all of the werewolves, like the werewolves are still there, but also there's some Cthulhu monsters now. And mm-hmm. it's like, this took a turn. <laughs> Yeah, and... And you never quite know why anything is happening. And, I mean, it's it's intriguing. I do want to know more about the Bloodborne lore, but I feel like, as someone who has made the mistake of looking up, like, lore videos on the internet, the ambiguity is the fun part. Yeah. If you try to sit there and pick it apart, it becomes a reflection of the person trying to pick it apart, for yeah. sure, because... When when you are given basically a blank slate, you will try to start writing things on it, and you will write what you know. Yeah, and I think that's fucking fascinating. It's yes. and it's it's so it's so much fun, and this and the the setting of the I know we've sung Bloodborne's praises on this podcast. We've before. done a whole episode on Bloodborne, not counting like half of the horror episodes. Yeah, Bloodborne. no, but well, it's it's excellent. It's a really and if you, good game, and I should play it again because it's yeah. the spooky season. Yeah, I mean, I've never finished it. I haven't um. either. I got to, I got to, um, Murgo's wet nurse. I almost was about to call mm-hmm. her by the fun nickname I have for her, which is the mm-hmm. Babysitter's Club. Uh, but I lost one fight to her, and then I was like, okay, I know once I beat her, that's either going to lead me into the final bosses, or that is the final boss, mm-hmm. depending on the choices I make. It's like, I want to play the DLC before I finish mm-hmm. the main game. And the DLC was so fucking hard, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even get to the first boss in the DLC. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. And I had it's very to stop, enjoyable. I had to stop going into the randomly generated dungeons after a while, too, because spiders started showing up down mm. there, and it's like, nope. I think also Bloodborne is a really good example of avoiding my issue with just throwing weird shit at the player for just throwing weird shit at the player. Yeah. Because I do, I will admit to having an issue with some games who just kind of do things for the sake of doing the weird thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... And a lot of horror movies also fall into this issue. They don't have an internal reason for doing it, and so it doesn't fit or feel comfortable with the rest of the story. Or if they do, they then try to over-explain it to the audience. Yeah. I think Bloodborne really rides the line for that because it's able to... It feels like the developers have a story in their heads, Mm -hmm. but they're communicating it in such an ambiguous way that you can kind of put the meaning that... I mean, this is true of any any type of fiction. Again, I have two English degrees, but this is really emphasized in Bloodborne. You can kind of project the meaning that you bring to the story Mm -hmm. onto that, and 
decide for yourself what's going on, but it still is done with enough deliberation on their part Mm -hmm. that it feels genuine and not like it was made by a bunch of fucking hacks. Yeah, no, it has themes for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Themes left and right, because if anybody tries to sell you on the fact that this game is not about, like, childbirth, they're wrong. The final boss (laughs) is called the Final, final boss is called the Moon Presence in a game about blood. The Moon Presence, and babies, blood, a wet nurse. There's a fetus more than once. You eat umbilical cords to summon the Moon Presence. <laughs> anyway, it's menstruation, y'all. Yeah, but I think nonlinear storytelling can can go horribly wrong or really, really right. Yes. And I think it, it goes horribly wrong when there's time travel involved is my hot take. See, no, that's the thing, because because Outer Wilds does technically have time travel. Boo. In the most technical f- sense of the word. Because of that 22-minute time loop. They do explain it away with sci-fi alien magic. Because uh, I see you shaking your head. Let me, do a, let me do an explain. <laughs> Because I love it. Fine, fine. Fucking mansplain Outer Wilds to me. I will. Fuck you. (laughs) Don't ever say that to me again. (laughs) Oh, God. I fully lost track of what I was going to (laughs) say. The time loop. Sorry. That that cut me to my fucking core. (laughs) The time travel mechanic. It is not that the character is physically going back in time. It is that the characters that came before you, the Nomai, have discovered a way to send, to store and send memories, and they were able to manipulate the, uh, a time imbalance between a black hole and a white hole, and they were able to pump enough energy into that that they could manipulate it up to 22 minutes, and there's this whole portion of the game where you play with a black hole and a white hole and shooting stuff through it, and one comes out, like, 0.5 0.5 seconds before you actually shoot it in and you can break space time and it's fun and the game does fully end when you do that because oh, if you because if you break space time technically you also break the time loop that you're in <laughs> so you're just fucked but the whole point of them doing this was they were basically trying to preserve the mission that they were on which was to find the center of the universe that was sending out a signal for them and you because you stumbled upon one of the devices that they use to send this information back and forth, you start doing the thing that they made you do. <laughs> I'm unconvinced, but I'll take your word for it. That's fine. I don't think this could. This is a game that you could play anyway, because I keep finding games that I really, really like that have really intense underwater portions. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah, because the, the gas giant is covered in water, and at one point you need to hide inside a jellyfish to get into the core of the planet, which is just fully underwater. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> not for me. No, yeah. And also the, the scariest shit I've ever seen in a video game are anglerfish. They're not underwater, they're just giant anglerfish that are in the core of another planet, and I hate them. I still get, like, I still get physically tense when I have to play that portion of the game. It's... Oh, it's so good, but it's so scary. But yeah, I think I think time travel mechanics can be <laughs> manipulated properly. And we we have learned from several years of living together that we do have some very different opinions on certain things. Strong feelings about time travel. <laughs> time Most travel. Of which are negative. Time travel and pizza. The two like major ones. <laughs> 
<laughs> pillars of society. <laughs> Is there anything we want to talk about before wrapping up? <laughs> I can't think of anything. Okay. All right, then. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Grumble Pack, where we get off track a little bit, but I'm also going to say that this was just a non-linear episode. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will see you all in a couple of weeks. Thank you, and goodbye.